I'm recovering from a Disneyland run. I'm serious. I'm going to go sit in the woods tomorrow. It's me and the squirrels. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and the natures of God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government. Laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. We, therefore the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions due in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. And that as free and independent states, they have the full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independence states may have right to do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Father, we in this room do not take for granted what you've given us in this nation. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us to focus on your will that we not become disheartened as we look around, as we see people in this great nation that despise what you have given. Help us as men of God 
to seek you and your will. Teach us tonight. Speak to our hearts the things, the wisdom, the instruction that you have for our lives out of your scripture, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Just as England was oppressive to its own citizens as well as the colonists that came to America, desiring to keep them in bondage, so Satan desires to do the same to you and I. Paul writes in Romans 6.22, But now having been set free from sin... And having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. And the end, everlasting life. We were singing um, 10,000 Reasons. And there's that, that phrase, I think it's in verse 3, that says, that talks about 10,000 years. And I think of the, the song Amazing Grace when we've been there for 10,000 years. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. 10,000 years is nothing in light of eternity. It's, it's just like the first second in heaven. Paul writes in Galatians 5.1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty of by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. I got on a U.S. history kick. Can you tell? I love America. Just about more than anything. That was the Declaration of Independence earlier. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, and we do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. I reckon I'll skip the Bill of Rights. Freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of assembly, freedom to petition, the right to keep and to bear arms at all times. No quartering of soldiers, freedom from unreasonable searches and seizures, right to due process of law, right to a speedy trial, a right to a, a tri trial by jury in civil cases, freedom from excessive bail, freedom from cruel and unusual punishments. And the list goes on and on and on. I forget how many amendments there are these days. That's the republic. This is not a democracy. We live in a republic. A nation governed by the rule of law. A small excerpt from the Emancipation Proclamation of 1863 reads, All persons held as slaves within any state or designated part of a state shall be then and thence forward and forever free. Abraham Lincoln. In the South at the time, there was a little over three million slaves valued at half a billion dollars. The proclamation was brought to Mr. Lincoln at noon on January 1st, 1863 by Secretary of State William Henry Seward and his son Frederick. The document was placed on the table before Mr. Lincoln, and Mr. Lincoln picked up a pen, dipped it in the ink, unrolled the manuscript, and was about to affix his signature to the appropriate place, and he hesitated. He laid the pen down. Lincoln hesitated a few minutes, before he picked up the pen, 
He said to Seward, I've been shaking hands since nine o'clock this morning. My right arm is almost paralyzed. If my name ever goes into history, it will be for this act, and my whole soul is in it. If my hand trembles when I sign the proclamation, all who examine the document hereafter will say he hesitated. Having rested his hand for a few minutes, Lincoln then wrote firmly across the proclamation, Abraham Lincoln. Looking up at Seward, he smiled and said, that'll do. Here in Exodus chapter 5, we have a large group of people who are also on the verge of a revolution. And they are also with the help of God Almighty on their side. Up to this point, Moses and Aaron have received their commission from God to go to the children of Israel and to Pharaoh. And Moses has been given the power of signs and wonders. He can, he can produce snakes. He can produce leprosy. And he can make them disappear. They have also gone and met with the elders of Israel and convinced them that they've been sent by God in chapter 4. One second here. Chapter 5. So in verses 1 and 2 here, let me just say, we ain't having a study about making bricks. Although we could. Uh, But as I examine this section of Scripture here, there was a couple of things that that stuck out to me, and, and as I was writing and cross-referencing and just digging in. You know how Scripture is, right? It just keeps unfolding and just keeps opening up. You can never get to the end or to the bottom of Scripture. It's, it's, it's bottomless. It's endless. It's eternal. It's alive. So the Lord showed me some things that I believe to be practical for us men. So that's how I'm approaching this section here. But let's take a look at what we got. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, we have Moses and Aaron having their first meeting with Pharaoh and their first request for freedom in order to hold a wilderness feast. And here they witness to Pharaoh about the Lord. We also observe here that Pharaoh rejects the Lord and also rejects the request for freedom. It says, afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, thus... Says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Now, verse three, Moses and Aaron have here. They further plead their case, stating that they will receive harsh discipline from the Lord if they do not obey him. Excuse me, um, Pharaoh, maybe we weren't clear that the Lord sent us, you know, God. Verse 3, so they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And then in verses 4 through 9, we have Pharaoh deflecting the issue at hand, and he apparently becomes more ruthless in the way he deals with the children of Israel, and he blames Moses and Aaron of trying to get them out of their work, out of their slave labor. And Pharaoh demands the current brick quota to be met, but purposely makes the task more difficult by ceasing to provide some of the necessary raw materials. Starting in verse 4, he says, then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now and you make them rest from their labor. 
So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the, task, the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather the straw for themselves, and you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they have made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on them. On on the men that they may labor in it and let them not regard false words. Verse 10 through 14, Pharaoh's officers, his taskmasters, begin to enforce this decree. And we see here that the production of bricks becomes increasingly more difficult now that the raw materials must be rounded up. And we also see that the straw becomes scarce rather quickly. And now the stubble, the the leftovers, is being used instead of the full straw. Right, so verse 10, the taskmasters of the people and their officers went and spoke to the people saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get yourself straw where you can find it, yet none of your work shall be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, Fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw. Also the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick, both yesterday and today, as before? Now, verse 15 and 16, the officers of the children of Israel come to plead their case before Pharaoh. They want to know why they are suddenly being treated this way. What's going on? What happened? They tell Pharaoh that the reduced brick production is his own fault. That was probably the wrong thing to say to Pharaoh. He doesn't seem like a very reasonable man. Right? Verse 15, the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh saying, why are you dealing thus with your servants? There's no straw given to your servants and they say to us, make brick. And indeed your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. In verse 17 through 19 here, Pharaoh accuses the children of Israel of laziness. And then he reiterates his unreasonable decree of brick production. And during this encounter with Pharaoh, the officers of the children of Israel realize that something has changed. I think the the light, the, the, the switch got flicked. The light bulb is coming on. They're realizing something here. Pharaoh hates them. And he wants to kill him. Verse 17, he said, you are idle, idle. Therefore, you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore, go now and work for no straw shall be given you. Yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. Verse 20, the officers of the children of Israel now turn to blame Moses and Aaron for what is happening. Notice that they believe that they are abhorred by Pharaoh and that he also intends to kill them. Verse 20 says, then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And in verse 21, they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. And then the last two verses, 22 and 23, Moses questions the Lord about what's happening. And then he also charges the Lord with not keeping his promise to set the children of Israel free. There's some key words in this chapter, the name Moses, four times, Aaron, three times, Pharaoh, ten times, bricks, six times.
straw, which is chopped stalks of grain, seven times. The term children of Israel or Hebrews appears four times. And just like Pharaoh, the Lord or God appears ten times. The main theme in this chapter are a few. Disobedience to God is a theme. Cruelty is a theme. Pride. I think Pharaoh's prideful. Oppression. And then the obvious brick making, which we will not go too much into. A brick is a brick. So the context of this chapter, you saw, put it into context. What's going on? You remember back, children of Israel sold their brother Joseph into slavery. He gets picked up by Potiphar, goes to jail, baker, ends up in Pharaoh's house, ends up second in command of Israel. That's a that's a real quick paraphrase. Joseph, second in command. Not, did I say Israel? I meant Egypt. So Joseph's in command. His brothers come down because they're starving to death. There's no food. And he recognizes them, reveals himself to them, brings the whole family down with his father and his brother Benjamin. And there's grain and they get the land of Goshen. It's good grazing land. And, and he saves his family. God saves his family through Joseph in Egypt. After several hundred years, the children of Israel have multiplied into a massive slave labor population. And now the time has come that God is going to send them to the land that he promised to Abraham and his seed in Genesis 12. That's where we're at here. This is the beginning. Specifically here in chapter 5, it is the first measure being taken... To move this group of people, the children of Israel, to their God-given homeland, the land of Canaan. Which, by the way, they have never fully occupied from the Mediterranean all the way over to the Euphrates River. They will. In the thousand-year millennial reign. They they are going to occupy so much land. Right now they occupy a sliver of land the size of, I think the land mass is equivalent to the land mass of Rhode Island. Many of you guys have been to Israel. I remember going in, in 98, we, I went on that tour, and we stood on a point up in the northern part, up in Dan. I think we were just up near the Lebanese border, and our guide said, now if you look, look to the south, and you see that point out there, that's our southern border. And if, and if you look out to the um, to the west, that's our western and the eastern. You can see the east border. Of the, it, was, it was like you could see the entire north, south, east, and west border of, of the nation with the naked eye. It was pretty tough, man. That place is small. It was awesome, though. Johnny, Johnny wants to move there. I'm going to have a house there, huh? So, the local government of Egypt, they don't like the idea of their slave labor force leaving. They see their economy being affected, affected in a negative way. They see a slowing of their construction and the expansion of their greatness over the land. If the slave labor force leaves, who's going to build the roads? Who's going to build the cities? Who's going to build the waterways? Oh, I reckon they'll have to go back to work themselves. Now, this is a a narrative passage. Remember, Moses wrote the first five books um, of the Old Testament. I, I think I, I read somewhere that he was 
believed to be the author of somewhere around 12 of the Old Testament books. But according to scholars, he's, he's I guess, absolutely the, the author of the first five books. But not only do the scholars believe it, Jesus believes it. John 17, 9, 7, 19, Jesus said, Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? Again, Jesus in Matthew chapter 8, verse 4, he says to them, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priests, and offer that gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. There are 79 references to the writings of Moses in the New Testament. Lots of evidence. The passage is also historical. Although the archaeological evidence is still argued about, according to what I could find on the internet, we know the scriptures to be true and its accounts to be totally reliable. That's all I need. I I don't need an archaeologist and a Bible scholar to write an article and post it online and me to read it to believe it. I've got the truth right here. Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. God cannot lie. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture, and that, that means all of it, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof and for correction, for instruction in righteousness. I, I, I teach my kids. I teach anybody. This is absolutely perfect from cover to cover. In terms of the scripture, I mean, if there there may be some, J. Vernon McGee's got some stuff in here. He's you know he's all right. He's a, he's a little off, my beloved, on a few things. He wasn't politically correct, like a few other fellows I know. But scripture. You build your life on it. It's perfect. It's true. It's it's truth. So the first thing I notice here is that Moses is asking Pharaoh for a vacation. In 3.18 of Exodus, God tells Moses to ask for three days' journey into the wilderness. Now, the real intent is not a three-day vacation. It's just a springboard to begin the exodus. I think, I think we just, we're trying to soften Pharaoh up. Just let us, you know, we're just gonna go for a little hike. I'm gonna say some prayers, you know, and picnic. Picnic. Don't worry. Because in, in 317, God tells Moses he's given him a new homeland. Right, right in the previous verse. But then in 3.19, God says, But he ain't going to listen, and he ain't going to let you go. Just letting you know, up front. So, we got to remember, Moses has been told. So, I, you got to wonder why, you know, why is he tripping out on God here in, in verse... Um, 23, you know, you, you, you didn't, you didn't deliver your people. You and I know people and we'll meet people throughout our lives who don't know God as well as people who adamantly reject God. I just heard a news report and I, and I, I, I was looking at, I was trying to find it because I was, I was going down. I don't, I don't watch the news. I don't listen to news. I hate the news. But these elections and, and all this stuff that's been happening, I, okay, all right, let's, let's see what's going on in the world. So I pay attention. So I'm listening to this AM radio as I'm driving, and they're talking about how there's this lady, and, and I, I thought they said the city of Upland. 
But I, I looked it up, and I couldn't find anything for Upland. But somewhere here in California, some city has a seal that has the word God in it. And there's a lady who is suing the city for some seal that they've had for 50, 60 years because it says God, and she wants it changed. She's got nothing better to do. Some, some sticker, some badge on a building downtown. Lady, just go home, live your life. But then the report went on to, to say further that the city will likely cave in and, and meet her request just like multiple other cities have done in the past. can't say God. In 2004, the L.A. City, the L.A. County seal was altered. A short time later, on May 25, 2004, the ACLU alleged that the seal's cross was a violation of the Establishment Clause and of the Constitution. The board's new seal had voluntarily eliminated Pomona and the oil towers without reference from the ACLU. But the current seal, the stars in the image of the Hollywood Bowl, originally in the middle right-hand column, uh, where the cross was originally placed, um, they replaced it with an oil tower. All right, so this, this is um, a news article accounting the history of the L.A. County seal and, and the changes that it's gone through. So they end up putting a picture of the San Gabriel Mission on the seal, the L.A. County seal. But they took the cross off of the top. But then the Board of Supervisors, Mike Antonovich, and some of the other ones voted unanimously to alter the seal, to put the cross back on top. This was in 2014, back on top of the mission on the, on the county seal. And the ACLU flipped out. And the argument was, from, the, from the, super, the Board of Supervisors, the argument was that it is architecturally correct. Because there's the mission. There's the cross. We want it on our seal. It's a huge influence on the San Gabriel Valley and the L.A. Basin. And it doesn't matter. That chunk of history, that, that existing thing doesn't matter. You ain't putting it on that seal. Because it goes against the establishment clause. You know, it's just little junk like that that just drives me nuts. These people have nothing better to do. It's like they're walking around just looking for, you know, I'm going to find something that says God on it and you know what they're looking at next, right? Now that the Pledge of Allegiance is out of classes, you can't pray in class. All our money. Tell them to quit using the money. But they'll be going after that next. I'm not going to sit up here and grind an axe. We pass laws in California where boys can go into the girls' toilet or into the girls' locker room if they feel like it. You've got to be kidding me. That would have been a dream law while I was going to school. We was always trying to sneak in there. And we just, now we just gave them a pass. And we didn't have no, no good intentions in mind. Yet now we've passed laws. Just like the, the scripture says, they call the wrong things right and they call the right things wrong. 
They call the good bad, and they call the bad good. It's completely reversed. It is incredible. I better not never see no boy going into a toilet where my girl is. Lord, help me. I would like that stricken from the record. Ruffy. Nah, if you know me, you know me. Pharaoh and everyone like him are without excuse, according to Romans chapter 1. Turn to Romans chapter 1 for a moment, please. Everyone flip right over there. I want to look at a few verses. Save me from writing them down. Romans chapter 1. Start in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because, although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things." Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Man, go read this downtown on the, on the steps of City Hall with a bullhorn. I dare you. They, in verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the, create, the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions... For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one for another. Men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. To do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, Sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisper... These are the protesters downtown. Backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents... Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Truth. Pure, real truth, undeniable. It is the foundation for my life. It's the rock that we dig deep and we anchor our foundation on the rock. So that when our loved ones die, when our loved ones get hurt, when our children go off track, and when the storms of life hit us that want to take us down, we don't fall down. We are anchored with an eternal, truthful foundation. People crumble without the word. I don't... How in the world could you get through this life Without God. I tried it for 26 years. 
They just locked me up. That's what happened. That was my attempt at life. God saved me at age 26. He saved me. These people love darkness rather than light. They refuse to acknowledge that they are being held accountable to the one who created them. This is why they need to get rid of the notion that they were created. They came from a monkey or something. They have to get rid of the creator because to admit that they were created implies accountability. You got to get rid of it so you can do what you want. Everything's relative. Hey, if it's all right for you, it may not be right for me. If it's all right for me, it may not be right for you. I just want to to smack them and then watch them go, hey, what are you doing? Oh, hey, it's okay with me. So their argument breaks down real quick. I mean, it's, it is foolishness. Steal their wallet. Watch them flip out. That ain't right. Who said? By the way, I didn't need to read the Bible to know that it was wrong to steal someone's wallet. God put that in me. God speaks right and wrong to the soul of a person. That's why Romans says that they are without excuse. Even if they don't have the word, even if they don't have a preacher, all they got to do is walk outside and look up. Oh, accountable. Everyone's going to stand before the creator and be judged. Everyone. Romans 14, 11, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess. Every is every. Philippians 2, 10, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on the earth and those under the earth. That's everybody. That's me. That's you. Except it's going to be different for some folks than it is for others. Believers and non-believers alike will stand before before God for judgment. And I can tell you, it is best to bow your knee here and now while you are able to of your own choice. Romans 14.10 Why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, Paul writes. 2 Corinthians 5.10 We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That word judgment seat in the Greek is bema, it means judgment seat in English. And it, and it speaks of a step or a footstool. This judgment is reserved exclusively for believers. And it's for reward. It's, it's referred to as the Bemis seat of Christ or the Bema seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear for the day, the judgment day. It will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. I reckon I'm probably going to be scrubbing the urinals in heaven. I mean, I do it here on earth, might as well just, you know. 
There are people, fellas, who we don't even know, we don't even see, you don't even hear about, that are going to receive such great and mighty reward in heaven. We ain't gonna, it's going to blow our minds. People that are so unselfish and so motivated by God's love that they are just blessing the Lord. And they're just, they're just biding their time on earth. They're just doing their thing. Living for Jesus. And man, is he going to reward them. We must understand that the believer will never be judged for sin. Ever. Because Jesus did that on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. Psalm 103.12 You know, I've got got 30 pages of outline notes. There's no way to, to get through a chapter of God's word and, and, and get into it. You, you just have to s- scurry over the top of it right quick because you only get an hour. I mean, I, I would love to go on all night about this stuff because now it's getting good here. Now, judgment for the non-believer is an entirely different matter. Believe you me, Revelation twenty eleven fifteen. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the great white throne judgment. And it is reserved for all non-believers. Christians, believers, followers of Jesus will not Stand in the great white throne judgment. We are going to stand at the Bema seat of Christ for our judgment, and it's for reward. Revelation twenty eleven. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was no place found for them. Revelation twenty one eight. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. That's me right there, brothers. Except I escaped. God saved me. All liars, they will have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We need to keep ourselves pure, men. We need to be useful to the master. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed... Lest he fall. Again, Paul writes and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. First Timothy 4.16, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. These verses are telling us to pay attention to ourselves. Not love ourselves, not live for ourselves. But pay attention to ourselves. Make sure that we are staying in the faith. Because I have nothing to offer you if I am not right with God. I cannot impart something I do not have. So in that sense, I need to be selfish. I need to make sure that I am prayed up and fed up and walking with the Lord. For me first and most. Then... I can pass that along to my wife, to my kids, to my friends, to whoever. So in that, we need to be selfish. We need to take heed and make sure that we're doing that. We need to take up the armor of God, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. 
so that we may be effective in the spiritual war that we're in. Notice that Paul concludes the discourse on the armor in, in 619 there with a request for prayer so that he may speak the word of God boldly. Right, so he's some of the breastplate and the helmet and the belt and the shoes and the sword and, and all of this armor, all this gear, offensive and defensive weapon, but then he wraps it up with, and pray for me that I may speak boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. That's the key. Someone shared the gospel with me. Someone took the time to force me to go down some dumb crusade that I didn't want to go to, in my mind. I just, I, I just went to get these guys off my back, and I got saved that night. Because they wouldn't leave me alone. You believe it? Man. We need to armor up so that we may stand, so that our families may stand, so that we may save others from the pit of hell. Jude 1, 20 through 23. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Man, someone saved, someone pulled me out of the fire. I, I got to be doing the same thing. My life is no longer mine. God didn't save me so that I can get off a of dope and get my registration on my vehicle and get a job and start making money and have a bank account and have a career and a family and whew, man, life's good now. That ain't it. That ain't why I'm saved. There's always going to be opposition to the word of God and to true followers, followers of Jesus. We are the church. We are his bride He's coming very soon to receive us to himself. And in the meantime, we've been called to stand in the gap. We've been called to be salt. To cause men to thirst. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? I can tell you, brothers, some days I'm salty and some days I'm not. Some days I shine the light of Jesus, and some days I don't. God wants us to be consistent. Right? So what happens? I, I get busy, and, and I don't read. I don't remind myself each day, oh, yeah, streets of gold. Oh, yeah, he, he gave his son for me I forget I will walk out of here and forget that by the time I get to my truck I, I got to keep reminding myself it's not that I forget you know what I mean right it it departs from the from my awareness because I become distracted Salt is good, but if it loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with another. We are to be light shining the love of Jesus. Ephesians 5.8, you were once darkness. Now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Our lives are not our own. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Men, these are all things that we know and we are aware of. But we daily forget them because we take our eyes off the Lord. I look at the traffic. I look at the news. I go to work. 
It's all distraction. It's all distraction. A mature Christian has learned how to stick close to God, how to be prayed in the word, be in fellowship, and maturing in a relationship, becoming closer and closer and closer and closer with Jesus. Like Enoch, right? It said that he, Enoch walked with God and then one day he was not. God took him. That guy was so close to the Lord that God just took him. It's critical for us as men, as Christians, to be daily in the Word and in prayer so that we can function as we are supposed to. I'm not on this earth to produce a product for some company. That's just a, a gig that, that God gave me so that, so that I can be ready to, to do His work. Because unless I am at every moment acutely aware of my position in Christ and aware that He is wanting to accomplish in the lives of the people around me, I'm going to miss it. I will simply pass by hundreds of opportunities every single day of my life, and I do it every day, and so do you. God knows us. Jesus wants to touch the people around me every day. He wants to do it through me. We must strive at all lengths to genuinely demonstrate the love that Jesus has for people. I am his hands and feet. Jesus wants me to be his hands and feet. He said in his word that if I will live for him, he'll take care of me. Yet I continue to concern myself with the cares of this life in a way that he doesn't want me to. Because I am not daily, I am not hourly in his word and in prayer because I take my eyes off him and place my focus on my circumstances. And i got to stop doing that. I, I should be doing that less and less and less and less as the, as the years go by. Something else I notice here in chapter 5 is that the officers, the representatives of the children of Israel, are looking for someone to blame for their situation in uh, verse 20 and 21. After all, things were bad before, but now they're worse. I wonder who, who, uh, who they blame for their situation as slave brickmakers before Moses came along. Doesn't say. I suppose it's human nature to want to blame someone for my faults. I mean, you go all the way back to page one in the Bible, or maybe page three. Adam says, oh, she gave it to me. Adam transgressed and then blamed the woman. Since the beginning of time, we refuse to own up to our own sin. Newsflash, your life is the sum total of every decision you've ever made. From day one, that's your life. Welcome to it. Why does God allow some to suffer more than others? I don't know. I can tell you, I ain't done much suffering in my life. My life's been pretty smooth. Pretty happy, pretty blessed. Thank God. Who was around when uh, the guy from Elam Ministry came in and shared with us in the gym? Was it that floored me? That guy's testimony floored me. It put me to shame. That guy is on fire for the Lord, and and <laughs> the things that they go through. The Lord's got me in America with a nice little job, making a nice little paycheck, driving a nice little car because he knows I'm a sissy and I couldn't handle it. That's why, I guarantee you. Them folks are hardcore and real and strong. My first reaction when something goes wrong is you get mad. That, that's me. I, I get angry. And if, you, and if you do something wrong to me, I'm going to get vengeance. 
Anger and vengeance. Lame. But that's me. So the children of Israel, they tell Moses and Aaron that it's their fault, that Pharaoh hates them. I'm going to skip a couple of things here. As Christians, we need to own our own faults and not blame our wives and our children and our co-workers. I've had conversations with men who used to attend this body, men who used to teach this ministry, who have since left their wives and their children and gone out in the world. I've talked to them. Dude, what happened? Oh, man, you know, she, she did this, and man, I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I slept with hookers. What? Uh, but, but, but she, and, no, whoa, time out. What? Not once, is, not once, and I've talked to plenty, and there's a bunch of them dudes, right? There's a bunch of men who have abandoned their families that we know from this body, and you talk to them, do it. Go talk to them and see if any one of them walks up and says, it was completely my fault. I took my eyes off the Lord. I let my relationship with God fall into the ditch and it's all my fault. It's on me. None of them say that. They cop out. And you know what? Every one of us has that potential in us. Every single one of us. It's scary to see that happen because that dude was teaching for 20 years. And I mean, like, what happened? He ruined his family. For what? We think the grass is greener on the other side. It ain't never so good as where it is where God has us. Did that make sense? We have got, we have to force ourselves and be on purpose in his word and in prayer. Otherwise, we're, you'll be talking about me the same way. We'll be talking about you the same way. None of us are above it. Finally, Moses accuses God of not keeping his promise. Apparently, Moses has failed to realize that God does what he wants and when he wants to. He's sovereign. Moses has forgot about the sovereignty of God. I never do that. I never forget that God is sovereign. You know, that's sarcastic, right? Who has known the mind of Christ or become his counselor? It's a rhetorical question. No one. Romans 11.34. Job 9.12. If he takes away, who can hinder him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? It's rhetorical questions. No one. He's God. There are times when you and I must simply wait on the Lord. We've got to wait. This is usually the case with me since the Lord is forever needing to teach me patience. Every now and then the Lord will answer my prayers immediately and I've got several examples that I wanted to talk about but we don't have the time. But I've, I have seen, as soon as I said amen, boom, an answered prayer. A, a baby at Children's Hospital that wasn't breathing on her own for days laid hands on her and as soon as, we, as soon as we were done, that kid started breathing on her own. They, they, they took the machines off of her. Right before my eyes. If I think about stuff like that too long, I'll, I'll, I'll lay down on, on the carpet and weep. Because I've seen it. If you're ever in doubt about the magnitude of God's love for you, 
If you're ever wondering why your prayers don't seem to get answered, if you're ever wondering if God cares about what you are going through, just simply look at the cross and take a good hard look at what the Father and His Son went through for you. Moses is about to receive a reply from the Lord regarding his accusation. Look at at chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. I get to teach chapter 6. We're going to take December off. We're going to come back in January. And I, I get to hit that. So we're going from bricks. And, and we're going to move right into 6. But man, it's, it's like, oh. Right? I get excited. God speaks of assurance of his promise. Are you sure of what God has promised you? Are you convinced that your soul will be in the house of the Lord forever? Are you convinced that you're going to shine like the sun at noonday? Are you convinced that you're going to walk on streets of gold? That you're going to eat of the tree of life? That you will rule and reign as a king or a priest with him for all of eternity. Are you, are you convinced of that? Are you aware that no one can steal that from you? Are you aware that as a child of the king, he has claimed responsibility for your lives? And are you convinced that he has promised and will absolutely take care of you and see you through this life into eternity where you will be with him forever and ever, ever, never to be separated from him ever again. You will always be with him. Are you convinced of that? Dr. Horacio Bonner once remarked that he could tell when a Christian was growing In proportion to his growth in grace, he would elevate his master, talk less of what he was doing, and become smaller and smaller in his own esteem until, like the morning star, he faded away before the rising sun. Father, we thank you for your word that you've given us. We thank you for the time that you've provided for us to gather as a group of men to talk about the things that we deal with and to look to your word for our answers and to be encouraged by the truths that are found in your word, that the wisdom and the instructions that you have for our lives, we would be reminded and encouraged and fired up to continue living and walking for you, Lord, knowing that very soon we will be with you in paradise for all of eternity. We love you, God, and we thank you for taking care of us and what you've done for us. We love you, God, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, God bless you guys.